good to see you. You guys are looking good this morning. Everybody happy? Well, you're going to be by the time you leave this place. All right. I'm going to just tell you we serve a mighty, mighty God. Um, let's see. I was told to make mention that the uh, we do these uh, church picnics the first Sunday of every month in the summer. So we've got one coming up next weekend, and uh, we need some volunteers, some helpers. So if you are willing to help, um, just call the church office and uh, let Amanda know. Uh, she'll take your name, and she's taking names and numbers. All right? Why don't we just, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer for just a moment. I know God's presence has already been here. We've experienced him through our worship and words that have already been spoken but let's just ask for his anointing and blessing on our word, or his word this morning. Father, we thank you so much for the word of God. Your word says about itself that the words that I speak to you are life. And Father, you are the author of life. You are the giver of life. You tell us to choose life. So Father, this morning we choose to hear your word, not just to be hearers of your word, as James says, but to be doers of the word. We don't want to just go through a religious exercise this morning or a Bible study this morning, but God, we want your word to come in and uh, change our hearts and change our thoughts and, and things that we do, Lord. If we still, many of us still have sinful habits in our life, Lord, we welcome your, the power of your Holy Spirit and your presence to come in and set the captive free that you would break us, break sin's power and the, and the demonic power and bondages in our life this morning, Lord God, that you would continue to shape us and mold us into the image of your son, Jesus, Lord. And we thank you, God, that uh, while you were working in each of our lives, just like the Apostle Paul, um, we are a work in progress, and you haven't finished. You, you've started a work in each of our lives, and your word says that you are faithful to complete it. Um, so, we're, Lord, we just give you permission to complete that word and that work in our lives in Jesus' name. Now, I was, uh, as we were worshiping, I was thinking about a scripture uh, from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse, starts at verse 9. And if you got your Bibles, you can flip open there. If you don't, it's okay. Just listen up. But I know that many times we come into the church and we, sometimes we have the tendency to think that everybody in here is perfect except for me. You know, we, we have a tendency to think that everybody's life is good and everybody's living the perfect life. And I know you look at me and a lot of people look at me and think, you know, I mean, you know, he's the pastor. So, I mean, he's got to be the, you know, I mean, I get people that ask me all the time, I know you're closer to God than I am. That is so wrong. I mean, it's not. It's not. I mean, we are all sinners saved by grace. Do we understand that? We're all sinners. I'm a sinner, and I'm saved by grace just like you were a sinner, and you're saved by grace. And God does not hear my prayers any more than he hears your prayers. So I was, listening, I was thinking about this scripture, and, um, you know, we've got all kind of people in this church this morning, and each of us, we struggle with different areas in sin. You know, some of you might be struggling with, you know, some type of addiction, with drugs or alcohol or even, you know, um, prescription medications. Some of you may be struggling with your, with your sex life, with pornography or homosexuality or adultery or fornication. Some of, you know, and th this is what the Word of God says. And this is from 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 
He says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. And you know, one of the key elements of, de- of, of being deceived is, is deception. It's like you're going down this road thinking that you're doing the right thing when you're really not. You're deceived into thinking that what you're doing is, is right and is totally contrary to God. He says that, and this is what he says, neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters, and those that pray to, you know, I mean, there's a lot of idolatry in the world today. In, in, the, in the time of Israel, I mean, it was uh, making idols, carved idols of wood or bronze or stone or silver or gold, bowing down and worshiping those. But today, we don't do that so much. You know what we bow down to? We bow down, bow down, bow down to materialism. You know, I've got to have a bigger house. My house is going to be my idol. My car is going to be my idol. My boat is going to be my idol. My, you know, my golf game, my fly fishing, you know, all the toys that I have, all of these things are, it's what consumes my time and my energy. It's what I focus on. And so he says, um, don't be deceived. He says, the uh, sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality or thieves or the greedy or drunkards or revilers or swindlers will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now listen to what he says after that. He goes on to say, and such were some of you. And I want to just tell you that in this place today, every one of those sins that I mentioned, there are people here that have dealt with that in the past are dealing with it right now in their lives. And so you haven't come to a place today where there are a bunch of perfect people. You've come to a place today where God, we hope, the Holy Spirit is working in our hearts and our lives to shape us and mold us into the image of God. And if you'll just give him that opportunity, if you'll just simply just say, Lord, you know, I don't like the way that I'm living my life. I don't like my temper. I don't like my anger. I'm mad at this person. I've been mad at this person for years. I've got unforgiveness in my heart and in my life. And, or whatever it is, you just fill in the blank. If you just give God a chance, I'm going to tell you that God will show up. If you, give, if you invite God in, remember he says in Revelation chapter 3, Behold, behold, behold. I just want to come in. Jesus is just saying, let me come into your life. I just want to come in. I know you messed it up, and that's why you need a Savior. You can't fix it. You've been trying to fix it for 20 years, and you can't fix it. And Jesus is just saying today, just let me in. I mean, I can take care of this. It may be bigger than you, but it's not bigger than me. Amen? All right. All right. That was free, by the way. That's not, it had nothing to do with my message. All right, so we are winding down today a series from Psalm 103, and I hope you guys know this psalm. Remember I said before that many times the psalms are psalms of thanksgiving uh, or psalms of of requesting David's in trouble, crying out for help. He didn't write all the psalms, but he wrote a lot of them, and he was always finding himself in trouble. Someone was trying to kill him, the Philistines or Saul or even his own family was trying to kill him at times, but he's always found himself in trouble and crying out to God. But he says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits. And so he's just saying, hey guys, I want to put you in remembrance of some of the things that come to you in this package when you are a Christian. He says, forget not his benefits. And the first thing he mentions is that 
He forgives all of your transgressions, all of your iniquities, all of your sins. He forgives all of that. It says that he heals all of your, all of your sicknesses, all of your diseases. He does that. It says that he redeems your life from the pit. That means that every one of us in this room, because of our sin, because of our transgressions, transgression, that we deserve hell. The Bible says that God gives us grace and he gives us mercy. Grace is called, it's like we would describe it today, as unmerited favor. You didn't do anything to do it. I can, I'm going to use a, um, well, I'll use that example in just a minute. But, you know, you didn't really, you didn't do anything to do it. It's just, just God's favor. God loves you. What did you do to make God love you? You know what we did? We sinned against God. But it says that God so loved the world that he gave his son that whosoever believes in him, you know, uh, will never perish but have everlasting life. But what did we do to make God love him? The psalmist in Psalm chapter 80 says, God, what is a man that you're mindful of him or the son of man that you even care for him? And so grace is God's unmerited favor. It's like, you know, getting what you don't, listen, because these two words, grace and mercy, kind of, they go hand in hand, and sometimes we get them confused, but grace is getting what you don't deserve, and mercy is not getting what you do deserve, and that would be hell, okay? And we deserve it. We've all sinned. We've all violated the law. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. It's talking about eternal death and separation from God, but the free gift of God is eternal life. And so grace is getting what we don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. Now, I've used this illustration. Some of you have heard it before. I think it was Napoleon that, you know, this uh, young man that had committed AWOL. He'd gone AWOL several times, and uh, he was going to be put to death. And his mother was crying after the general saying, you know, have mercy upon him, have mercy upon him, have mercy upon him, please have mercy upon him. And the general responded and he said, he doesn't deserve mercy. And she responded and said, if he deserved mercy, it wouldn't be mercy. You guys get it? You understanding that? We're not getting what we do deserve. And so it says that he, keep, he redeems our life from the pit he crowns us with steadfast love and mercy, and it says that he satisfies you with good so that your strength or your youth is renewed like that of the eagles. And that's what we're talking about this morning, this last one. He satisfies you with good. And so I want to just talk to us today about what brings satisfaction in our life. And this word really comes from, it's a word that means that you were overly satisfied. And probably the best way that I can explain that is, you know how you sit down at your Thanksgiving meal, and you eat, and you eat, and you eat, and man, you are satisfied, right? And then somebody says, who's ready for dessert? And that's what this is talking about right here. It's like, man, I don't, I, you know, I don't, I, you know, I shouldn't do it. I'm full. I don't really want it. But then I can, it's pumpkin pie or pecan pie or apple pie or something. And I know it's lunchtime and you guys are getting hungry. <laughs> but, uh, but it's just like, you know, I mean, I'm already full from the food, but yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shove that down. It's going to be, this is the kind of satisfaction that God says that he wants to bring into our lives. And so Jesus talks about, you know, a, a satisfaction. And he says that there are certain things that this world cannot bring. 
and, you know, when it comes to satisfying us in our body, in our soul, in our spirit. But in John chapter 4, he's talking to the woman at the well, and he says that everyone that drinks this water, talking about the water from Jacob's well, uh, will be thirsty again. But whosoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will be in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And so what Jesus is saying, this physical water, you're going to want to drink again. But those, those of you that have tasted this religion, that religion, other religion, and then you finally come to Christ, it's like, man, I tell you what, I am satisfied. I mean, he satisfies me. He satisfies me. He is that living water. And then he uses another analogy in John chapter 6. He says, I am the bread of heaven, and whoever comes to me will not, not hunger. Whosoever believes in me shall never thirst. He uses that example again. And so never, you will never have spiritual hunger You'll never have spiritual thirst. He will satisfy you um, in, uh, in, in these things, and the things that you really want to be satisfied in. Six weeks before Elvis Presley died, uh, someone interviewed him, and he said, when you first started playing music, you said you wanted to be rich, famous, and happy. And then the reporter said, are you happy? And he said, I am as lonely as hell. I mean, you think about it. This guy was one of the most famous people in America, one of the richest men, one of the most popular guys in America, and he's saying that he is one of the lo most lonely men on the face of the earth. And so, you guys, uh, I'm going to take you back in time a, a little bit here this morning. Uh, anybody remember where you were March or May the 7th, 1965? May 7th, 1965. Some of you say, man, I wasn't even born yet. <laughs> All right. May 7th, 1965, in a little hotel in Clearwater, Florida, there was a young man that was touring America. His name was Keith Richards. And he had a guitar and a recorder sitting by his bed. And he went to sleep, and he woke up with this bump, and he wrote it down. He, he put words. It was eight notes, and he put words to it. That was on May the 7th, 1965. Three days later, the Stones were touring. They got to a place called Chess Studios in Chicago. They recorded the song, and uh, on July the 10th, it hit the charts. It was the number one song for four weeks in a row, and today, out of the Rolling Stone top 500 songs, it's still the number two song on the chart, out of 500 songs, Rolling Stone magazine. He did it in his sleep. He woke up with something going on in his mind. I mean, incredible. it's been sung by thousands and thousands of artists, and the lyrics are, you know, can't get satisfaction in capitalism, can't get satisfaction in materialism, and I can't get satisfaction in my sex life. You know, just can't get satisfaction. And none of these things, and some of you are trying to be satisfied in all of those ways right now. If I could just get to the top of the mountain, you know, someone said that my goal in life was just to get to the top of the mountain. And when I got there, I realized the only place to go was to fall off, to get off of the mountain, to go down. And so, you know, when, when you think about, you know, all of the things that this world, and you are bombarded every day with things that, you know, people are trying to sell you, 
that make you think that you're going to be satisfied with life. And I want to tell you, there is nothing in this world, there's nothing in this life that will satisfy the real needs of your mind, your mind, your will, and your emotions, your spirit, or your life except Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, that's the only thing that will really satisfy you. And you can wear yourself out. You can wear yourself out looking for things that will satisfy you, and they may satisfy you for a moment. You might find happiness, you might find bliss, you might find you know, joy in those for a moment, but pretty soon they wear off because somebody's going to show up with something bigger and better and shinier than what you have. And I don't, that goes from men to women, a shinier man, a shinier woman, a shinier car, you know, all of those things. It's just like, if I could get that, I'll be happy. And that's why the divorce rate, and no condemnation, I'm just telling you, I'm just trying to set the record straight, you will not find satisfactions in the things that this world has to offer. All right, so how does he satisfy us with good? Now, the Bible says that he satisfies us with good things. In Jeremiah chapter 31, he says, I will fully satisfy the needs of those that are weary and refresh the souls of those that are faint. In Psalm chapter 84, the Lord is a sun and a shield, and the Lord will give grace and glory. Now think about that. That's not something you can buy. You can't, you know, you can't find soul satisfaction. You can't find grace satisfaction. You can't find glory satisfaction in the things that you can buy today. The backslider in heart will be filled with his own ways. That's what, just what I was just talking about. The things that this, this world seems to offer that we think that we will be satisfied with but it says, a good man will be satisfied from above. That's caught, speaking about God from Proverbs 14, 14. And then it says, you, the psalmist is speaking about God, you open your hand and you satisfy the desire of every living thing. And so when we talk about satisfaction, what are the results of satisfaction? Now, I'll just tell you that there, the Bible says that there is a generation that curses its mother and father. I'm, I believe that this passage of Scripture is talking about today's generation. In 2 chapter, Second Timothy chapter, uh, I believe it's chapter 3, it talks about what it's going to be like at the end of the age. And uh, it talks about all of these things that are going to be happening. I believe that we're living at the end of the age. And I know every generation since the time of Christ has said that. But if you look at what's going on in the world today, um, I've never seen a generation like the generation that we're living in. It said there is a generation that curses its father and does not bless his mother. You know, I, the, the Deuteronomy chapter 27, says, uh, verse 16 says, Cursed is anyone who dishonors his father and his mother. And so, you know, I, you know as a pastor, gosh, I, I've just seen it all. I've seen parents that say they hate their children. I've seen parents that say they wish they'd never had their children. I see children that say they hate their parents. That, I mean, I see broken relationships all the time. I mean, it's just, it's just unbelievable what's happening in the world today. And maybe it's happened in other generations. I'm sure that, you know, uh, it just seems like as we grow toward the end of the age, these things are increased um, with, uh, in, in, uh, in numbers and, um, and, and the mass, just the greatness of it. There's a generation that's pure in its own eyes. I believe that's, that's one, the generation that we're living in today. I mean, one of the things that you will hear one of the words that we hear spoken over and over again, and if we as Christians get caught up in this, you know, uh, and two words that are two phrases that, are, that we hear over and over again is that you need to be tolerant 
and you need to be politically correct. These are two things that we hear over and over again. You've been so bombarded with that that you're ashamed and embarrassed to even speak the truth to those that you know and love because you don't want to seem, nobody wants to be seen as a hater. But the Bible says that, you know, that if this man starts down a line of sin and if a righteous man sees a, a sinner or a wicked man walking down this, this trail of destruction, and you fail to warn that man, you fail to speak into that man's life, not with judgment, not with criticism, but, you know, like, brother, we need to go to, we need to, go to coffee. We need to, have, we need to have a meal together. We need to talk because I see some things in your life. I'm not trying to be judgmental, and that's the first thing that will say, hey, don't be judging. Don't you be judging me. Don't you be judging me. I'm not judging you. I'm just telling you what the Word of God says. This is what the Word of God says, that this kind of person will not inherit the kingdom of God. Can we talk about this? Because I see you on a track. I see you going down a trail that is really, really troubling. I've had to do that a number of times in my life. It's not an easy thing to do. And if you're doing it with joy and gladness in your heart, then don't even do it because you're not, you're not the person that's supposed to be doing it. If you can point the finger at judgment with someone in someone's life, you know, remember the story about the three pastors that were being interviewed for a job. They were all given the same subject to speak on, and it was damnation and hell. And the one pastor said, you know, I'm sure I got the job. I'm sure I got the job. You know, I did a better job. I out-preached those other guys. And uh, when the council came out, they said, no, you didn't get the job. We gave it to somebody else. And they said, why? You know, he said, I did a better job than those guys. He said, you know, when you talked about people going to hell, you seemed to enjoy it. You seemed to be glad that they were going to hell. This guy right here that got the job, did you see him crying? Did you see him weeping when he was talking about people that were going to hell? That's the same kind of heart, same kind of attitude that you and I need to have. It should be difficult. It should be hard for us. But they should know that our heart and our compassion, and they should see our tears and know that we have a love for them and desire to see them. The Word of God says that God is not willing that any should perish. None, none. I don't care how bad you think your neighbor is or your friend is or your son or your daughter is or your wife or your husband is. God is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. In Isaiah chapter 5, it says, those that, call, those that call evil good and good evil are as good as dead. This is from the message translation. And we see we live in a generation like that. We live in a generation that calls some sin good and calls the righteous people or the pastors or the preachers or the church or Christians evil. And so we live in that time. We're living in those times right now. Those that call evil good and good evil are as good as dead. Those that turn darkness to light and light to darkness who turn bitter to sweet and sweet to bitter, those that think they are wise are as good as dead. And then Proverbs chapter 30 says, there's a generation, oh, how lofty are their eyes, and their eyelids are lifted up. There's pride, there's arrogance in this generation. This is a generation whose teeth are like swords. They have fangs like knives. They devour the poor from off, off the earth, the needy from among men. And there's that kind of generation that just kind of like that cutting edge, you know, just to, in words that are sharp and piercing and cut to the heart. And coinciding with the same passage of Scripture, verse 15 of the same chapter, it says the leech has two daughters, give and give. There are three things that are never satisfied, four that say, never say enough. The grave, the barren womb, the earth that is not satisfied with water, and the fire that says 
never enough. And we are prideful. We're disobedient to parents. We call good sin and sin, you know, good. Uh, there's a sharp word of sarcasm that's kind of flowing from this generation today. And we live in a, in a world that just uh, the entire world feels entitled. You know, it doesn't make any difference, you know, how hard you work. There's a guy down the street. I mean, we've met him. You've met him a thousand times at the gas station on the corner. You know, they, I want your money. I don't care if you worked for it or not. I believe that I'm entitled to what you've made. Somehow you've made it. You cheated me out of a job. Now I want your money. And, you know, it's like, my gosh, you know, I, I mean, I, I, you know, I can go to a gas station and be hit two or three times by, the, by, by different people. It's like I can't even pump a tank of gas, you know, without being, you know, hit, you know, asking, you know, hit up for money. Uh, and I, I know you're like that, too. You go to the corner they're at the grocery store. But the Bible says, and David said, and I've, I've used this before, and, um, you know, David said, I, I'll see somebody holding a sign that's begging for money. And I, please, you know, man, I, I tell you what, my heart is I love to give. I love to give, but I hate to be cheated, and I hate to be lied to. And, uh, you know, we had a, a situation here. Uh, Nina's not in here, so I can tell this story. Um, <laughs> but we had a guy, this guy, uh, this a couple of years ago, guy sh shows up. He's driving a brand-new truck, and he's got a, you know, camper on the back of it. And, uh, and, I mean, he's got, you know, the spandex and, uh, I mean, nice shades and shoes. And, and he says, look, we were camping, and um, he said, we were driving out of the campground. He said, I hit two spikes with my tires. He said, it's about, you know, I need $200. Uh, you know, I, I'm willing to give you the, I'll, I'll write you a check. They just, the, they, they won't take an out-of-state check. We're from El Paso, and they won't take an out-of-state check, uh, check from, from, you know, from, uh, this company wouldn't. But... I'll trade you checks, I'll give you my check, you give me your check, and they'll take your check and give me, you know, two new tires. And so, uh, I'm, man, I'm about to write the guy a check. I mean, where's the checkbook? Man, it's a good story, you know? And so, uh, Nina walks up about the time the guy is just kind of finishing the story, and she walks up to the guy, she's all, you're a liar. You're a liar. You are a liar. She said, yesterday I was at the gas station, you said the same thing. You're doing the same thing to people at the gas station yesterday. Man, I married a strong woman. <laughs> but uh, then, then he says, uh, I'm going to go to the church down the street. They were nicer than you are. <laughs> so anyway, I mean, there are, there are real needs and there are real people out there that are hurting, okay? And, you know, you just got to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And, you know, honestly... I'd rather be cheated than, you know, than to wrong the, the, the person that really is in need. Uh, I, you, know, I don't, you know, it's just money, okay? God will give it back to us. All right. So, um, you know, and, and as I mentioned, you know, I mean, we live in a materialistic world, and so it's hard not to, to be materialistic. I mean, we got to have jobs. You got, you know, we got, you know, we got uh, college to pay and doctor bills to pay and rent to pay and cars to pay and, insurance on those cars and all of these things, you know, these are all things that we have to buy. And so it's, I mean, you've got to be thinking about this, but you just can't be consumed by it. It can't be your, you know, your, you know, your every thought. You have to put it in place and balance it, you know, rightly dividing the word and balancing the truth, you know, just how do we live in a materialistic world and not become so, you know, make it our idols. And, uh, and so, you know, I, I, I remember, 
You know, when I was, I was telling this story to somebody yesterday that I remember when I was in high school, um, you know, I, I mean, one of my best friends, and his, he and his parents, they were, uh, his mom and dad were very successful. I mean, they just had everything. They had the, I mean, hit, like the first Corvette in our town, you know, the one I loved, like the 66, 67 Corvette, you know, and uh, of course he was my best friend, so I got to ride in it. But, uh, uh, and so, uh, I mean, it was, uh, you know, I, I, it was the great vehicle for meeting young ladies. And uh, so, and I, even though I was a passenger, <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, I, I, and, I, and I thought about, oh, man, they had a beautiful home. I mean, they, they, they went to church and, you know, and then when I think I was about a sophomore or junior in high school, I mean, he came to me one day and, you know, I mean, he, I just tell he's just really broken and uh, they had all of these things, but he told me, he said, my mom and dad are getting a divorce. And uh, it, was like the, it was like the first person in the town. That, this is the first family in the town that, that I knew of and that the town knew of. It, it was a huge, huge thing. And, and I saw the brokenness there. And then I, I began to realize, you know, the big house and the nice car and, and all of these other things, what, everything that, you know, seemed to be perfect on the outside, you know, there was something there that didn't satisfy and it caused a broken relationship and a broken family. And so uh, the Bible tells us that don't love money because you'll never be satisfied. Um, or it says don't love money and be satisfied with what you have. Um, so we, I'm going to talk about the benefits of, sa- of being satisfied, and then I'm going to tell you a story from the Old Testament that kind of ties this all together. It says, he uses the, the analogy of an, an eagle. He says, You're, let your youth be renewed like that of an eagle. And, uh, and Isaiah says, he gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. And I know this, this, some of you guys are saying, I mean, I see a lot of you young guys in here, young men and women, and you're thinking, this doesn't apply to me, but I see some older folks in here, and I'm thinking, hey, this applies to us, okay? It says that he gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Even the youth will become weak and tired, but young men and young men will fail in exhaustion. But those that trust in the Lord will find new strength. And I know that some of you are looking for new strength in this day and in this age. It's just like, you know, uh, I was talking to Doug some time ago, and I said we were talking about how it's like we need more time. It takes more time, and we're getting less done, you know, as we get older. But I want to just say that I believe that God can breathe life into us, a newness of life, so that we will soar high on wings of eagles, and we will run and not grow weary, and we will walk and not faint. So it's kind of interesting that the writer uses the analogy of an eagle. It has a seven-foot wingspan, and yet it can probably pick up, it can typically pick up something that's twice its weight. Think about that. Twice its weight. I mean, we can't even carry our own weight, you know? It's like, uh, uh, you know, they get new feathers, their feathers regenerate, their eyesight is four times, even though they're the eye itself is about the same as the human. It says their eyesight is four times greater than our eyesight. And um, you know the number one, one of the number one causes of death for uh, eagles? You know what it is? I mean, I'm not talking about toxics or pesticides or things like that. Natural death, the number one, number one cause of death for eagles. 
You ever see these eagles in these pictures where they swoop down to a lake and grab a fish? Well, sometimes they will swoop down into a lake and latch onto a fish that they cannot pick up and they will not let go. And see, God is comparing us to an eagle. And you know what that's like? You know what, that's, what we'd call that today? I'm, I'm, I'm trying to pick up more, trying to get more than I'm able to handle. What do we call that? I want a bigger house that I can't afford. I want a, a bigger car, a nicer car than I can't afford. It's called greed. It's called greed. And he will latch onto that fish, and that fish, there's actually a video on YouTube, you can watch it, where this guy pulls this one out of the, out of the, uh, out of the sea. And, uh, I mean, it's just practically dead, but he gets it back in his boat and kind of revives it. But he latched onto a fish, and the fish took him under and practically drowned him. And that's what the things of this world will do to you and I if we focus on them, if we latch onto them. All right, quickly, I want to I run through this story. Uh, beautiful story, Old Testament story, and uh, I'm going to try to get us out of here. All right, so one day, this is the story of uh, Elisha. Remember Eli- Elijah, and uh, then after him came Elisha. And remember, Elisha said the one thing that he wanted was a double portion of the, of the spirit that was on Elijah. And so it says that one day Elisha went on to Shuman, and there was a wealthy woman, a wealthy woman who urged him to stop and eat some food. And so whenever he passed that way, he would turn there to eat food. And she said to her husband, Behold, now I know that this is a holy man of God who continually passes our way. Their house was like in the, you know, on Main Street in the main traffic area. Let us make a small room on the roof with walls and put uh, there for him a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp. Uh, she just wants to show kindness to this guy. In 2 Samuel chapter uh, 9 and 10, if you, if you look at this, just do this in your spare time, make the notes. But in 2 Samuel chapter 9 and 10, the first two verses of that is about King David. And King David says, he wakes up in the morning and he says, I want to show kindness to somebody. That was what was in his heart. He said, I want to show kindness. Is there anybody that I can show kindness to? That's the attitude of this woman right here. I want to show kindness to this man of God. And so let us make a small room for him on the roof with walls and put for, their, put for, their, uh, put for him a bed, a table, a chair, a lamp. And so that whenever he comes to us, he can stay there. One day he came and he turned into the chambers and rested. And he said to Gehazi, his servant, call the Shumanite. This is the town that she lived in, Schumann. And when he had called her, uh, she stood before him and he said, Say now to her, See, you have taken all this trouble for us. What is to be done for you? Would you like to have a word spoken on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? And she answered, I dwell among my own people. And he said, What then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, says, Well, she has no son and her husband is old. And he called her, and when he had called her, she stood in the doorway, and he said, at this season, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. And she said, no, my Lord, no, my Lord, O man of God, do not lie to your servant. And the woman conceived, and she bore a son about the time um, the following spring, as Elisha had said to her. And when the child had grown, he went out one day to his father among the reapers, and he said to his father, Oh, my head, my head. And the father said to the servant, 
carry him to his mother. And when he had lifted him, he brought him to his mother, and the child sat in her lap until noon, and then he died. He didn't just collapse. He didn't faint. The Bible says that he died. And she went up and laid him on the bed. Listen to this. The bed of the man of God, that little chamber, that little room that she built for him. And she shut the door behind him and went out. And she called her husband and said, Send me one of the servants and one of the donkeys that I may quickly go to the man of God and come back again. And he said, you know, man, typical man, Why will you go to him today? It's neither new moon or Sabbath. And she said, All is well. And she saddled a donkey and she said to her servant, Urge the animal on, do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. So she set out and came to the man of God at Carmel. That's the first thing that we need to do. When we, we've got trouble in our lives, we need to get to the man of God. We need to get to God. We need to get to Jesus. You need to get with some of your friends. i got a problem. i got something going on in my life. Man, listen, join, join together with me in prayer. We need prayer. I need prayer right now. I need you to help me. Something is going on in my life right now. And that's what she's doing. She's going for the man of God. And when the man of God saw her coming, he said to Gehazi, his servant, Look, there's the Shumanite. Run at once to meet her and say, Is it well with you? Is all well with your husband? Is all well with the child? And she answered, All is well. Now why would she say that when her son is dead on this, on this, on this prophet's uh, bed? Did she think that something was going to happen? Did she really believe that this was the man of God? Did she think that, I mean, she's going to him. Obviously, by faith, she's going to him thinking that he's going to be able to do something for her. And I believe that's, that's my story. I'm sticking with it. And uh, she answered all as well. And when she came to the mountain of the man of God, she caught a hold of his feet. You can just see this. He's standing there. She's on her face uh, on the ground, grabbing a hold of his feet. And Gehazi came to push her away. But the man of God said, leave her alone. For she is in bitter distress, and the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. He's actually shocked. He's like, man, I hear from God. I hear from God all the time. I know how to hear from God. And God has hidden this from me. I don't know what's going on. I, I, I know that I can see that she's in distress, but I'm not sure why. And then she says, did not I ask my Lord for a son? Did, not, did, not, did I not say, do not deceive me? And so right away he knows the issue. It's not the husband, it's not the house, it's not the farm, it's the son. And he says, he says to his servant, tie up your garment. I mean, just wrap your cloak around you, wrap it up tight. You know, the fishermen, they would pull it up. They wore these longer things. They wore, they'd pull it up, tie it off with the belt so they could run. I mean, they're in a sprinter's race. And he's getting ready to take off. And he says, if anyone greets you, and typically in, in that culture, when if you pass somebody on the road, you would stop and greet them and talk. How's the family? How's the farm? How's your wife? How's the children? How's the crops? All of these things. He said, don't say anything to anybody. You just blast past them and you get to this son. He says, uh, and then the mother of the child said, as the Lord lives, this is what she's telling the prophet. She said, I am not going to settle for you sending the servant. I'm not going to settle for that. I need you to go. I want you to be there. You're the one that made the promise to me. You're the one that said I could have a son. I need you to be there. And so he rose and followed her, and Gehazi went on ahead and laid the staff on the face of the child, but there was no sound of life. And then he returned to meet him and told him the child is not awakened. So he goes to the house, does, lays the staff on the child, then he runs back out. He's like going back and forth. And then he goes back out to the prophet Elisha, 
And Elisha came into the house, and he saw the child lying dead on his bed. So he went in and shut the door behind him, and the two of them prayed to the Lord. And he went up and laid on the child, putting his mouth on the child's mouth, and his eyes on the child's eyes, and his hands on the child's hands. And as he stretched himself, the flesh of the child became warm, and he got up again, and once uh, got up and walked once back and forth in the house, and went and stretched himself up on the child. And the child sneezed seven times, and the child opened his eyes. And then he summoned Gehazi and said, "Call the Shumanite." And he called her, and when she came in, he said, "Pick up your son." And she came in and fell at his feet, and bowing to the ground, she picked up her son and went out. All right, and then you've got about four chapters that, you know, there's the floating axe head and Naaman is cured of his leprosy and there's all kind of miracles that are going on. But Elisha has another encounter with this woman. And there's a famine that comes up on the land. And uh, we're going to wrap it up with that. It says, and Elisha said to the woman, this is some time past, Elisha said to the woman whose son he had restored to life, arise. Now listen, uh, this is how all this ties together because when we're talking about your sins, we're talking about, we're talking about your sins and your iniquities. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name, and forget not his benefits. All right? And we said, he forgives all of your sins. What that means is that, you know, he's trying to put you back into a place of restoration. When he's forgiving your sins, he's putting you back into a place where you were not a sinner, where you were right before God. When he's restoring your health, he's, he says, I'm going to heal all your diseases, that's restoration. I'm going to put you back into a place where you were before you became sick. And we talks about, I'm going to redeem your life from the pit. That means I'm going to put you back into a place you, where you were before you were condemned to go to hell. And when he says that I am going to crown you with steadfast love and mercy, when you guys are walking away from God, and the book of Ephesians says that at one time you were an enemy of God. You were opposed to God. You were, you were separated from all the promises of God. All of, all of the benefits of God, God's saying, I'm going to restore you. I'm going to put you back to where you were before. I'm going, to, I'm going to give that back to you. And when we talk about him renewing our strength, he's saying, you know, I'm going to renew your strength because you're at a place right now. I'm going, to, I'm going to bring restoration into your life. And that's what this story is about as we read right here. It says that Elisha said to the woman whose son had been restored to life, arise and depart. He's saying, you need to get out of town. He said, you and your household and sojourn wherever you can, for the Lord has called a great famine. And in a famine, that's a lack of everything. There's nothing available. I mean, there's nothing. Everybody is in want. For the Lord has called a famine and will come up on the land for seven years. And so the woman arose and did according to what the word of, the, word of the man of God. And she went with her household and sojourned in the land of the Philistines seven years. And at the end of seven years, the woman returned from the land. Now listen to this. And she appealed, she went to appeal to the king for her house and her land. She's saying, I've been gone for seven years. Government seized it, and I need it back. I want this back. And um, the king, it just so happened that when she went to appeal to the king, and we talk about coincidence, is this a coincidence, or is this a God setup? Is this a divine appointment? I'm going to go talk to the king, but the king's talking to Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, and Elisha, or the servant, just happens to be telling this very same story about a woman whose son was raised from the dead. And so it says, now the king was talking to Gehazi, and, and the servant of the man of God said, 
tell me all the great things that Elisha has done. And while he was telling the king how Elisha restored the dead to life, behold, the woman whose son he had restored to life appealed to the king for her house and her land. And Gehazi says, my lord, my king, this is the woman. This is the story I've been telling you. Here she is. This is the very person. And this is her son right here. And it says that, when he told the king that, the king appointed an official for her saying, Restore all that was hers, the land, listen, restore all that was hers together with the produce of the field from the day that she left the land. What he's saying, I want you to give her a house back. I want you to give her land back. I want you to give her all the revenue back from the crops that we have sold from using her land for the last seven years. That is what restoration is. And that's what we're talking about. Psalm 103 is talking about restoration. And some of you need restoration today. You need restoration. You need restoration. Stand up. Stand up. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for you if you need restoration. I need you to raise your hand and you raise it high like you want God to do something right now in your life. You want God to restore something. You've lost something, and you want God to put it back together. It could be a marriage. It could be finances. It could be, you know, your children. It can be anything in life that you feel like that you've lost, that you want God to put back together, and you want Him to restore. And Father, in Jesus' name, I'm asking you, Father, that you would just, Lord, we're standing on your word this morning. We heard the word of God this morning. God, we heard the promises of the word of God in in sin and in sickness and in redemption from the grave. And Father, satisfying us with good, with love and mercy, Lord God. I feel, some feel like they're left out, Lord. I feel like they're not loved by you, not feeling the love today, not feeling the, the strength of the eagle today, feeling weak today. God, asking you to restore, restoring finances, Lord God. Those that have lost so much, Lord God, I'm just asking you in the name of your son, Jesus, that you would restore what the enemy has taken and robbed. God, that you would replenish your people with goodness, satisfy our souls. Your word says, no good thing will you withhold from those that walk uprightly. Father, I pray a special blessing on all your people today. And Father, we just say, put your hand on your heart, put your hand on your heart, put your hand on your heart, and just say, Lord, restore. Just, just say it together. Lord, restore. You know, you know, you fill in the blank. Lord, I lost this. I lost this marriage. I lost this relationship. I lost this job. I lost this investment, Lord. My health, Lord. Lord, I used to walk with you so close and I'd overcome so many sins in my life and now I've I've fallen back and I've lost that. Restore me to that position where I was once before, Father. Where sin, this sin didn't have a problem. It was not a problem in my life. And now today I find that it is. Lord, I'm asking for restoration. Put me back in a place where you and I had a close relationship. I'm asking you, Father, just say it again, just quietly, still in, in the stillness of your heart. Restore, Lord. Restore. Restore, Father. In Jesus' name, restore. And all of God's people said, hallelujah. Let's bless the name of the Lord. We serve a great God, don't we? He's an awesome God. He's an awesome God. All right, God bless you guys. You're, you're free to go. But if you need prayer, I'm asking you to hang back. Our prayer ministers will be in this corner. If you need special prayer this morning for anything, hang back. 
get prayed for. God bless you guys. I love you. And be restored in Jesus' name.